It's good to see you if you're a guest. I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series on marriage, uh, a series entitled I Do. It started off with I Do for Life, looking at Genesis 2. It's the model and basic, the basic program kind of way of all marriages. It's what God expects. And uh, a man and woman come together to spend their life together. They're partners, they're companions, they're helpmates. Uh, and it's, it's a lifelong commitment. We also know that life gets messy at times. and Things don't always work out the way they should. And uh, since sin entered the world, there's all types of relationships. But one of the things that we shared is that, if at all possible, uh, you know, you need to strive uh, to have, wherever you are right now, a Genesis 2 relationship. Whatever else your life may be doing on, whatever else may have happened in the past, from that moment forward, strive to do things the way God wants you to. Um, last week, we were looking at I Do Love You and, and understanding love and in the context of what marriage is. And today we come to I Do Faithfully in Malachi chapter 2, the last book of the Bible, last book of the Old Testament, and here's what it says. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously. Although she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. And let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord of the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And so here's the thing today. We come to this passage. This is what you need to see. That embracing our culture's values in rejection of God's values will destroy marriages and families. Listen, if you try to embrace the culture's values, and in doing so you end up rejecting God's values, you're going to end up destroying marriages, you're going to end up destroying families, destroying your life. Because you cannot reject God and what he wants and expect everything to be okay. So, first thing we need to see then as we come as pastors in Malachi is that we have moving away from what God expects, because that's what's going on in Malachi. Now, I preached in Malachi back in uh, March, uh, and preached about uh, giving God what's left over. The book of Malachi is the last book written in the Old Testament, about 430 B.C. Malachi is a contemporary of uh, Elijah, of Elijah, of Ezra, and he's a contemporary of uh, Nehemiah. Ezra was written probably about 455, 460 in there, Nehemiah about 440, 445. And it was during the time uh, when everybody, you know, not everybody, but the Jews had kind of come back out of the exile. Now, in 587, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem, and they had destroyed the temple and destroyed the worship of Israel. And taken the Israelites up from Judah off into exile. When the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, the Persians allowed some of the people of the Jewish faith, the Jewish tradition, to go back home to Jerusalem. And they were given the opportunity to rebuild the temple. And in about 515 B.C., they finished rebuilding the temple. But it wasn't anywhere close to what the old one looked like. Solomon's temple had all this glory, all this splendor. This temple, you know, was, was kind of kind of like a, an OA frame looking house, kind of like an old country looking church. There wasn't much to it. It lacked all that glory. And the people became in many ways despondent. They became a little bit discouraged because it seemed like even though they had God, God wasn't speaking to them. God wasn't listening to them. The worship was to no avail. And it seemed like the Messiah was a long way off. And, uh, and they lived in a kind of a hopeless situation. And into this world 
you have here uh, Micah, I've seen Malachi speaking to them uh, about the struggles they're going through. And as I said, you know, a couple of months ago, they were giving God the leftovers. That's why their worship was ineffective. God was getting the leftovers from them. And here in this passage, you see you know, in chapter 2, you see Malachi talking about a couple other things. He talks about the family life. And one of the problems early in chapter 2 is that they, uh, the men had started to marry foreign wives, the wives of the pagans. Now, that was what got them into trouble to begin with. God had told them way back when they entered the promised land, don't marry the Canaanite people. Um, and one of the things we see and we saw from when I began that series in March on um, back roads, we saw that Solomon married foreign wives and was building places of worship for their gods, and that introduced the paganism into Israelite community, and that's what was their undoing. And here you have that same thing kind of going on. You run the risk of these people who have come back to, to the homeland, who have built the temple, and though it's not full of its former glory, you have all of that, and they're starting to marry foreign wives. Now, this isn't about interracial marriage. Sometimes it's taken to be about interracial marriage. It's not. It's not about race. It's about religion. That they were taking people who were pagans, worship pagan deities, and they were going to bring them back uh, and, wor- and have intermarry with them and bring them into their culture. Now, in addition to that, uh, what we see in the passage we're in today is that they were divorcing their wives uh, either to marry someone younger, in some cases, or they were divorcing them in order that they could marry these foreigners. And that, that began to be the problem. And so what you see is you see a really messed up set of circumstances. And one of the things that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago when I talked about marriage in this whole series and looked at Genesis 2, is that life is messy and marriage is messy. And we, and we have messy lives. And we have mar- messy relationships. And that's because of sin. And we live in a culture now where there's all types of different backgrounds. And I get that. I, I totally get that. Um, some of you, you know, you only have one marriage, and it's a good and healthy marriage. Some of you, you're in your second marriage, and it's a healthy marriage. Some of you are in a rough marriage right now. Some of you are single. Some of you are single again, raising your kids. Some people are living with someone they're not married to. Some folks are attracted to the same sex. I mean, there's, there's a whole variety, the whole gambit, and I get that. And, and I understand all that's involved in those things more than I think most people realize. But, but here's the thing. Even though life gets messy, God still has certain things that he values. And God doesn't abandon his principles concerning marriage just because we mess things up. We need to realize God, God's going to work with us. He's going to love us. He never stops loving us, ever. And, and God will take your messed up wife, and whatever it may be, and he'll restore it. It's what he does because we all mess our lives up. And as a church, we're here to love you, and we care about you. But that doesn't mean we're going to tell you everything's okay. It doesn't mean that everything you're doing is acceptable to God. God loves you. Things still aren't acceptable. We need to understand God never abandons his principles, ever, especially concerning marriage. And so we we need to kind of keep that in mind. And so our, our goal is to take our life where we are. We can't change the past. We can't fix the past. But whether you're married or you're single, wherever you may be, the goal should always be to find a way to get from where we are now to where we can have a Genesis 2 marriage. And we, we, we should want to find a way uh, to where we are right now to get that to a Genesis 2 marriage. That should always be our, our goal, to get where God wants us to be. So here in this passage, uh, verse 13, it, it says the people are crying over their altar because God's not blessing them. And they don't understand why. Now, in verse 14, 15, and 16, there was a phrase used 
to describe the problem, and it's, it's the phrase dealt treacherously. Now, that's what was in the New American Standard. The New American Standard is probably the most accurate translation from either Hebrew or Greek into English, but because it's a translation, sometimes it's a little rough. And so a couple of versions, NIV being the, most, the one most people are familiar with, smooth it out a little bit, and they may use the word unfaithful. And uh, New Living Translation uses the word unfaithful. And so the word to be treacherous means to be unfaithful. Uh, that's what he's did. They're unfaithful to their wives. And so verse 14 says that God is a witness. God is observing. He is a witness to the fact that these are the wives of their youth. They got married to when they were young. They're the wives of the covenant. They're in a covenant relationship. God's in a covenant relationship with Israel. And in turn, uh, the marriages are considered to be a covenant relationship. Still to this day, we look at marriage as a covenant relationship two people enter into. It's not just legal. There's a spiritual aspect. There is a, a binding aspect to marriage. And so God says that you, you have this wife of your youth. She is your companion, linking her back to Genesis 2 as a companion to help me. And yet you are being unfaithful to her. And then he comes to verse 15. And verse 15 is a very difficult verse in the Hebrew, and the New American, tra- uh, New American Standard Translation it translates it accurately, but it's hard to understand. So we're going to look at it from the New Living Translation. It says this. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In other words, you, you married her and you're one flesh. In body and spirit, you're one. And, and you're his. You get married, we belong to the Lord. That relationship belongs to God. What does he want? Well, part of what he wants is godly children from your marriage, from your union. I mean, the part of the expectation of marriage is that your kids and you raise your kids in the faith. So guard your heart and remain loyal. That's do not be treacherous. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And so notice what he's saying. He's saying you, you, you need to be faithful to your wife because you're one. One in body, one in spirit. You belong to the Lord. And part of that is to raise up godly children so that the home life will be strong. I mean, the, the Israelites, they were raised in the covenant faith. And God's saying if you break the covenant and you divorce and marry these foreign women, then how are you going to raise your children up in the faith? And how are you going to be able to raise them in a godly way? We would understand the value today as followers of Christ in raising our children in faith. Last week we had baby dedication. We had lots of wonderful, beautiful kids up here. And one of the things that I challenge your parents to do is to raise your kid to know that Jesus is Savior. Well, he's saying that when you act treacherously, when you're unfaithful, it makes that difficult. And then he comes to verse 16, 26 times in the book of Malachi. Malachi uses the phrase, the Lord says, God is speaking. Twice here. And the first one, it says this, the Lord hates divorce. God hates divorce. We, we should be surprised about that. Now, it didn't say that the Lord hates divorced people. Okay? God has never says he hates divorced people. That was the church that kept saying that God hates divorced people. I mean, there was a time, you know, I can remember well growing up in church, divorce was this unbelievable taboo. And here were people, they were divorced, and when they needed the church most, the church was casting them aside because of divorce. And, and, and people, people get divorced, and then, you know, a lot of the self-righteous church members, they would be gossiping about the divorced people. Because, you know, gossiping is not a sin at all, is it? I mean, it's okay just to gossip about people, because nowhere in the New Testament does it ever condemn gossiping as a sin in the eyes of God, does it? No, not at all. And so we would do that. Now, listen, I, I'm the product of, of divorce family. Oh, my dad divorced when I was three. And my mom got remarried when I was five, married a good, godly man. They had two daughters, my sisters. And my dad ended up getting remarried. He had, they had two, two boys. And I, I can't imagine going with my sisters. I can't imagine. I love my sisters. I can't imagine not having my sisters. I mean, Debbie's parents got divorced when, when she was a teenager and she moved to San Antonio. 
And that's how we met. We met because her mom moved there. I mean, if she, if she, if they had not got divorced, we may not have met. And we've been married almost 37 years. Can you imagine 30 years, 37 years of wonderful, blessed life she would be missing out on had they not got divorced? <laughs> and the first two services, I said I wasn't going to say it that way, but I just couldn't help myself out. Obviously, it's, it's the other way around. But that's the truth, you know, all this time. And so here's the thing. We mess our lives up. God takes the mess and he fixes it and repairs it because God is able to do that. It doesn't mean, though, that he likes the idea of divorce. And he also doesn't like, he says, the fact that they're, they're covering their garments with what is wrong. Now, that's an unusual phrase. The idea of covering their garment is uh, Boaz covered Ruth with his garment. It was an idea of protection. She fell under his protection. Protecting someone with his wrong, what it means is this. You're taking your wives and you're, you're exposing them to harm. Um, in that day and age, women were very vulnerable. It's not, it's not like our culture today where women, women could be independent, you know, get jobs, and, 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 and have their own lives. It's not like that. And, and, um, next, I'm going to talk about this a lot next week. Next week, I'm dealing with uh, the whole wives be submissive and husbands love your wife thing. I'm looking forward always to dealing with that. And I'm sure I'll explain it in such a way that everybody will understand and say, oh, that makes total sense now. But I'll talk about that a lot then. But here's, here's the thing in that culture. Women, you know, they, they, if, if a man divorced his wife, she was exposed to cruelty. She was exposed to being sold into slavery. She was exposed to the possibility of surviving by prostitution. I mean, so actually divorce, when they came to Jesus, they came to Jesus a couple times talking about divorce. He talked about that. He always talked about the only acceptable reason for divorce is, is un, uh, being unfaithful. They talked about, in um, Matthew 19, about Moses saying divorce was okay. And Jesus said he did it because your hearts are hard. And you go back in Deuteronomy 24, and the reason he gave the, the divorce certificate is just without that, the assumption would be that the woman was unfaithful. So her family wouldn't take her in. No one else would marry her, and that woman was vulnerable to the culture she lived in. The certificate of divorce was to protect her, to say she was not unfaithful. I just cast her aside, and that way her family could take her back and someone else could marry her. So it was totally for her protection. It's not because it's what Moses wanted or God wanted. And so here, the same thing in Malachi. They were exposing their wives to cruelty through their actions. And so we need to be aware that when God looks at that marriage and looks at that sacredness, what he is seeing and realizing, what he, what he observes, is when we are not careful, what divorce does is it leaves people vulnerable. Even today, it leaves people in a difficult situation. And infidelity is a root cause of the problem. And God gives a warning to him. His warning is don't be unfaithful to your spouse. And here's the thing. In every context you can imagine, God expects faithfulness in marriage. There is not a context that you can come up with. There is not a scenario you can create where God's going to say, it's okay if you're unfaithful. They don't exist. So understanding that what God expects. Going from moving away from God expects. Now let's talk about moving towards what God expects. Because that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to understand in the mess of our lives. And, and, and sin. And knowing sometimes that marriages and family life can be extremely complicated. And I get that. Trust me, I get that. I've dealt with this bunch over the last 38 years. Understanding all of those things. Let me just share a few things with you. And the first is this. When we are disconnected from God's expectations concerning marriage, we are disconnected from God. You understand that? 
If you remove yourself and disconnect from what God expects of marriage, you are removing yourself and disconnecting from God. So you can't have this mindset that our relationship with God is always going to be okay no matter what if your relationships with other people are messed up. Jesus said, love God, love other people. They're connected. So the idea that the people of Malachi, why isn't God honoring our worship? Because you're not honoring what God expects when you deal with other people. Now, regardless you know, of, of the relationship on that horizontal level who you're dealing with, if you are messing up relationships and it's your fault, you're going to have a hard time relating to God. Especially if you're messing up your family. Especially if you're messing up your marriage. It is difficult for you to connect to God when you're disconnecting from what God wants. And if you're going to be unfaithful to your spouse and cheat on them, how do you expect you to have a good relationship with God? If your spouse can't trust you, no one can, and that includes God. It's just the way that it works. And so what you need to strive for is the health of marriages that says we're faithful to each other. Because one of the biggest, largest causes of marriages breaking apart is the lack of fidelity, of faithfulness. Let me just say a word to you that are, that are single. Single again, single for the first time, you're dating someone, have no idea of dating, don't plan on getting married, or whatever. If you date someone and they have a history of being unfaithful in the relationships, why would you ever trust them? Why do you want to have anything to do with them? I mean, I, th- I had a couple one time, they were going to, both of them divorced and get remarried. One of them had been unfaithful in the last marriage. So I, I asked the question, how do you know this person is going to be faithful this time around? Why would you trust them now? And the only reason you would is because they've totally sought repentance and forgiveness and turned away from their sin, admitted their sin, and sought a relationship with God and asked forgiveness. Then you might. But here's the thing. Unfaithfulness to a person, to your spouse, is going to relate to unfaithfulness to God. It's hard to have any other way. And so we need to understand that's what God expects. The second thing, and this is a tough one, but healthy marriages are critical for the well-being of children. They really are. God wanted them together to have godly kids. Now, I know there are a lot of folks. I mean, I was like I said, I was raised by my mom for a few years. I know there's a lot of folks who are single parents. We deal with it all the time, and you're doing your best you can, and some of you are doing a really good job, and I get that. This is not meant to, in any way, shape, form, or fashion to be something negative towards you. It's simply not meant to be that way. But you, we all understand that the ideal situation is for a male figure and a female figure to be in a child's life. Even in the case of divorce, hopefully both parents are a part of that child's life. If only one parent is, then normally you've got to find someone else to make up the slack. All times it's a grandparent, a friend, maybe eventually there's a, a new spouse involved. But here's the thing. It's in the best interest of the kids as much as possible for that to happen. Now, it can't always occur that way. I get that. But you need to understand, if your unfaithfulness, if you're going to, to, to deal that way, and destroy your family, how are you ever going to have a positive impact on your kids? If you're going to be unfaithful to their husband or their mother, how will your kids ever learn to trust you? It's going to be extremely difficult. So children especially can be left vulnerable when we move away from what God expects. And so here's the thing also. Young boys need to grow up to be young men. And young girls need to grow up to be young women. And they need people to help them. And here's the thing. And I'll just deal with this subject now since I'm here. If you go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, which is a pretty good source, 
God said, I created male and female. He created males and females, period. Nothing in between. There's no overlapping. Now, we live in a culture where there's a lot of talk about gender fluidity. And listen, if someone goes through that, love them, want to help an individual deal with what they struggle. But the concept that's starting to come out, that children can choose to be whatever gender they want, is obviously foreign, not only to God, it's foreign to nature. If I was an atheist, the one thing I would know for sure is the most settled science in all of life is males and females are genetically that way. I mean, you look, it's, it's, it's in their DNA, it's in their chromosomes, there's an eye test you can take, there's all sorts of ways to know what they are. And so, we need to be sure that while we always love people and care for people, and know that people struggle with things, we need to be sure that if we're going to help young girls become full, functioning adults in the Lord, we help them become young women. And we help young boys become young men. And we keep that identity separate. Because that is the way God did it. And if you reject, if you reject God's values in order to embrace the culture's values, you will destroy children. You understand that, right? If you embrace the culture and in doing so reject God, there are a lot of young boys and girls who will be destroyed in the process. So the next thing is this. Don't cheat on your spouse or commit adultery. No exceptions ever. <laughs> no, there's, no, there's no exception. Was there an out clause? No, there's not an out clause. And of course in my life I've had several friends uh, ruin their marriages because of adultery and so, several in the ministry. And about 30 years ago there was a guy I was really close to. A couple, there were several guys who were close. And uh, he and his wife were very close to Debbie and I and we did things together. Uh, on their vacation we did some stuff with them. And, and we, they were just good, good friends. And we played golf, and, you know, and we just talked all the time. And he was at a church, a talented, unbelievably talented musician. He was at a church in San Antonio that was a little bit smaller, and ended up having a, a, just an unbelievable opportunity. There's another CD close by that, that this church called him. It was a great church, just growing and growing and growing. And he went there, and uh, about two months later, uh, you know, he tells me, hey, I'm leaving the church. You know, I'm getting divorced because I had an affair. And I'm like, what? And this is the crazy thing. This is just the idiotic thing. The affair he had at his previous church, he continued that fa- affair at his new church. He just brought it, he was traveling. I mean, it's just idiotic to begin with, and that was purely foolish. God was giving him a chance to end all that, and he just kept it going, and it cost him. And there were, there were three basic things that were a part of his affair, and there are things that I have found throughout my ministry of 38 years, almost 39 to be true. One, he, he talked about, and I mean, the sad thing, by the way, about all this is he and I, I mean, he talked to me like one time, and I haven't talked to him since. I mean, he was my closest friends. I've reached out to him over the 30 years, and I just, it just I, I miss him deeply. I wish he hadn't done that. But what he told me was his wife wasn't meeting his needs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, your wife's not meeting your needs. That's not an excuse. You don't, you don't get a freebie on that one. And, um, you know, listen, if, if, if your needs aren't being met, you need to talk to your spouse, okay? If that doesn't work, go to counseling. If their spouse won't go with you, go find someone to talk to. But you need to work through that because at the end of the day, your needs not being met is not an excuse for you to commit adultery. It's not. I don't. I, there's no. There's no other way around it. <coughs> the other thing they said, the other thing that we found out uh, and talked to him a little bit, was that he, you know, he just didn't stumble. This didn't happen overnight. He a series of events led up to this. He built a relationship with this woman. And at some point, he should have got out of it. Now. The easiest thing to say is that when you went from church A to church B in a different city, that was your out. 
God was giving you one. Take it. But he didn't. But all along the process, he had opportunities to end that, and he didn't do it. So guys, let me tell you this, and I've said it before, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll say this all the time. Don't build relationships with other women. Don't. Women, don't build relationships with men who aren't your husbands. Don't do it. You know, I, I, I don't build relationships. You know, with the women are single. You know, I'm nice to you. I'll talk to you. If there's a situation socially that we're together, we'll be friendly. I'll be your friend. I'll be your pastor. I'm not going to get close to you. Just not. Uh, when, when Debbie and I, had, I mean, if, there's, if there's a married woman, uh, uh, Debbie and I together are close to that woman and her husband. You know, that we're just close as couples. They don't do things separately. Just don't do it. And if ever there's going to come an opportunity that I'm going to be alone with a woman, I, I make sure my wife knows. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a friend coming from San Antonio, going to California, take her college age, grown-up son to college. She wanted to have lunch. I said, Debbie, I'm going to have lunch. Is that okay? She said, yes. When I went to have lunch, I let her know I was going to have lunch. When lunch was over, I texted her, let her know lunch was over. They left. I had receipts. I had video evidence. I mean, everything, man. <laughs> Wouldn't take any chances. Affidavit signed, all that stuff. When you build relationships with people of the opposite sex that aren't your spouse and you're married, you're risking danger. And you need to break that off like today. And you may say, well, it may hurt their feelings. It's okay. Better to hurt their feelings than to destroy your marriage. Better to hurt someone's feelings than to destroy your family. Every time, take that. Then the third thing was that my friend had no longer, put it this way, he didn't have people he was accountable to. Now, he did. He had some friends like me who he was accountable to, but he just broke that off. He broke off accountability. Instead of coming to me or somebody else and saying, man, I am struggling with this. What do I do? So we could have knocked him around a little bit, knocked some sense into him. He just didn't bother to tell any of his friends. And the people he could have been accountable to, he just let that slide. You need people in your life you're accountable to of the same sex as you. So that when times get tough, you have someone who will talk some sense into you if need be. You should all have people you're accountable to. Now, I realize things happen. And some of you have been through some tough things in life. And um, some of you have committed adultery. And hopefully by now you have sought forgiveness from that. Forgiveness from God, most importantly. Uh, the person you offended sought forgiveness from them. You need to do that. That's an important thing for you to do. And some of you have been offended. Uh, someone has cheated on you, and I get that. And... It's hard, but you've got to forgive them. Now, I'm not saying, everybody has this idea, well, you just forgive them and it's over. And it doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is a long, hard process sometimes. But it has to begin somewhere. Sometimes, it may have to begin today. You need, you need to begin that process of forgiving them, if no other reasons, for your benefit. And if you need help with the process, you always have someone here at our, our facility, our church to talk to, that helps you through that process, because it's tough. But you've got to do that. At the end of the day, what we all have to realize is no matter what our life is like, and it's a little bit messy, and no matter what mistakes we've made in the past, I'm just going to tell you this. doesn't matter if you're married or single. Married again, kids single. It doesn't matter where you are. From this day forward, don't ever cheat on your spouse. It's just, I don't know how else to put it. From this day forward, no matter what's happened in the past, don't ever cheat on your spouse. There are no exceptions to that. God doesn't understand when you do that. God doesn't say, ah, that's okay. It's tough. God says, don't do that. Then simply don't do that. So when I do a wedding for someone, 
one of the things I always say is forsaking all others. That's a key part of a marriage ceremony. You're putting everyone else behind you to spend the rest of your life with one person. And that's what we need to strive for because that's what God wants. Now, it's tough, and I get that. And some of you today, you're at a place where you probably need to forgive someone. Some of you just need to forgive because you've been offended, you're wrong, and it's hard. And so all I can tell you is in a moment, maybe you just want to come talk to someone and say, it's hard, just help me pray that I can begin the process of forgiving because it's not easy to do that. Some of you need to be forgiven. Mostly you need to be forgiven by God, I recognize that. But maybe there's someone you've wronged, and at some point to get your life on track, get your relationship with God on track, you need to seek forgiveness. Some of you are in some situations in relationships that you just need to break off, and you need to end it. Whether you're single or married, you may be single, and you need to end it. You could be single and you have a relationship with a married person and you need to end it. You need to end it. So today, make that commitment. I'm ending it. First chance I get, it's over. Some of you need to surround yourself with some friends who will help you struggle with what you're going through and give you love and occasionally a knock upside your head. So maybe today you just need to pray, God, bring Someone in my life, let me find that one. Make that commitment today. I'm going to go to that person, and I'm going to go find that person to help me. Listen, all of us need to realize, regardless of the midst of our life or the situation of our life, that God loves us and God cares for us. And that God will help you get where you need to be. But you've got to give yourself to him. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, even though I haven't yet done that, uh, I mean, that talked about giving your life to Christ, you need to come give your life to Jesus today. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to come and trust Christ to be your Savior. We'll do that as well. Listen, we're going we're gonna to be here. And, and some of you, listen, women, if you want to talk to another woman, there'll be a gal up here to talk to. So you don't, you don't want to pray with a guy. I get that. Maybe you want to come pray with another woman. You can do that as well. If you don't want to come forward after the service, I think I'm going to be at There's a table in that back corner outside until left. I'll be there. Come talk to the pastor. So whatever God wants you to do today. I I can't tell you, I know this. He wants all of us to walk out of this place today knowing he expects us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we love you. We want to glorify you. We want to praise you. We always want your will to be done. So whatever it takes, Father, today, whatever it takes, Father, today, let us make the commitments that we need to make. Let us seek the forgiveness we need to seek. Let us forgive what we need to forgive. Let us break off bad relationships. Father, let us surround ourselves with people who will help us. But more than anything, let us just seek you and where you want us to be. And God, let us just make a commitment. It doesn't matter if we're married, it doesn't matter if we're single. Let's make a commitment today. Understanding what you want, we're going to be faithful. We're going to be true. We're never going to stray away from our fidelity. We may make other mistakes. We may mess up in other ways. But let it be said that we will always be faithful. This is what you desire of us. This is what you call us to. This is what you want. So in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us the strength we need and we make this commitment for your glory and for your honor. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? If you need to come up to the front, there'll be some up here to greet you, but you come.
Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, my God. I need 